is it's Philippians 3, 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lays ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning we're continuing to look at Philippians 3. And as we look at Philippians, we remember our famous three people, Lydia, the merchant of purple cloth, the demon-possessed slave girl, and the Philippian jailer who made up these first three people or families, groups of people in the early Philippian church. And so they were the people. And Paul's writing to them and he's saying, watch out. There's, there's actually a group, another group of people. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Uh, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. The, that is those who perform circumcision on those who have become a Christian just to make them more uh, Jewish. Beware of them. And he's saying to them, actually, consider everything, everything else, all these uh, Jewish laws as rubbish uh, in comparison to knowing uh, Jesus, because that's uh, what it's all about. And, and so these other Judaizers, what they were seeking to do was they were seeking to uh, make them Jewish, make them obedient to the law, uh, circumcising the, the boys, uh, uh, men who'd just become Christian. Uh, they were trying to make them Jewish. And Paul's saying, actually, I know what it means to be Jewish. I was an Israelite of Israelites. I was a lawkeeper. I was among the best. I, in terms of 
Uh, the school of religion, I was a Pharisee, so the, the best person at keeping the law. I knew the law inside out. I was uh, circumcised. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In terms of uh, those who are Jews, I was of the best. And yet, he says uh, in verse 7, uh, whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all the work that he did before, all the reputation he built up as a person that kept the law, knew the law, taught the law, he, he considers it rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. So all of these works that he was able to do in order to see himself as a proof, rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. And he goes on and he says in verse 8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. So he not only says all this Jewish stuff that I used to do, where I got my sense of identity and strength, uh, I consider that loss. He's saying actually everything, everything in life is uh, I consider as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. So he's lost all things. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He was in, he's in jail at this moment uh, where he's writing. And he's saying, well, well, actually, everything is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. And he, what he does is he says, he's not just saying everything's at loss. In fact, he actually considers everything to be garbage. The Greek word is skubala. Everyone say skubala. So, so next time someone says something you don't like it, say scubala. <laughs> and they won't know what you're saying. But uh, the, the word used there so it means garbage, but actually means a, a little bit more than garbage. It's actually, I consider all other things excrement that I may know Christ. All other things is like poo compared to knowing Jesus. That's, that's what he's saying. He, he's being... Uh, quite real and quite raw in saying that, you know, I've, I've had three kids, I'm really thankful they're out of nappies, but when I used to lift up that, that lid or open that nappy, I did not look forward to that moment. Everything is like that. <laughs> the, the, uh, just saying that, I can still smell the smell of the bin when, when you used to lift it up. It was horrible. Maybe you still get that the, these days where, where your bin smells like that. But he's saying everything. Everything that I previously thought to be valuable, I consider scubala <laughs> compared to knowing Jesus. I wonder, do you know Jesus in that kind of way that you could say everything of worth in this world in comparison to him? It's not saying that these things aren't valuable or these things aren't good, but in comparison to Jesus, they feel like rubbish. That's a, that's a big challenge. It's, it's a big call. We, we have a lot of things, don't we? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I need storage solutions for my storage solutions. <laughs> I spent a, an hour uh, yesterday afternoon with Holly going through all my bolts and nuts and screws and putting them in the right spots. And next time I go and try and find things, I've got these little boxes and racks and it's all organized and it feels so good. But I spent an hour on what Paul would consider rubbish. <laughs> compared to knowing Jesus. I wonder your most prized possession. Do you have a relationship with Jesus that you can say, 
Actually, that's rubbish compared to knowing him. I could just, you know, out the window, give it up right now. I don't, I don't need it. <laughs> that's where the rubber hits the road. Paul's saying, I know Jesus in such a way that I can throw out everything else. You see, there's a knowing of Jesus that is so valuable that you, you'll come to the, that point of Paul. Paul came to that point in jail when everything had been taken from him. And he, he's saying, I don't actually want it all back. Because I know Jesus and being with him is a far more worth than anything. And so he says, being found in Christ is better than my own righteousness. When, when you're a law-keeping person, what you're trying to do is you're trying to present yourself as right before other people. So that's what righteousness is about. Like we're presenting ourselves as right before God. And he's saying, well, even my own righteousness, the the things I could do to appear good before God, I I consider them rubbish towards uh, compared to what I have gained in knowing Jesus. Uh, So that is he's gained, and you probably can't see it from where you are, righteousness through faith. Uh, what, what does that mean? When, when God uh, looks at you, he sees uh, you in the same way he sees his son Jesus. As, as a believer through faith in Jesus, uh, you have a righteousness that's imparted, that is given to you as a gift. And when you receive that gift through faith of Jesus' righteousness, God looks at you like Jesus and he He doesn't look at you and see Jesus. He looks at you in the same way he sees Jesus, not needing to prove anything in order to measure up, in order to know him. Uh, Everything in this world is about measuring up, isn't it? We've been taught from school at a young age, uh, right through work and everything that you need to work hard, you need to do well, and if you measure up, you'll get rewarded. That's the way of the world that we live in. The way the kingdom is not that way at all. It's you have faith. And as you put your faith in God, you receive what is already yours. So as you put faith in God, you receive a right standing before God. God loves you and sees you in the same way that he sees his son Jesus. But you also have the the gifts of access to God that is given to you as a a free gift. That that means that, that actually the wealth of heaven is yours and you don't need to do anything in order to be able to earn more of it we don't need to do something in order to be able to earn more of god which is it really messes with most of our heads because we then go well how do i actually get closer to god how do i live in this way in this world Uh, well we live in the way of not having a righteousness of our own so i don't need to prove myself before others i don't need to prove myself Uh, before God and so we can say of ourselves what God says of Jesus he also says of me maybe you want to say that now what God says of Jesus he also says of me maybe say it in a bit more say it to the person next to you so I, I part of growing in maturity of faith is being able to say this with full conviction from our heart that what God says of Jesus is also what he says of me. Uh, the, the other way in which we need to operate in order to uh, 
live in this world to know Jesus is to be prize-focused, not poo-focused. Or you can <laughs> prize-focused, not poo-focused. So what is the prize? What's this prize that Paul's talking about? I'm going to flick through a few scriptures and I'll put them up on the screen so you can read them. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And so the crown that's offered to us in Jesus is eternal life, and uh, it's a life that lasts forever. Uh, Revelation 2.10 Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Uh, so, so life in the full. is Jesus says, uh, I've come to offer you life in the full. That's what's offered. And then when we enter the new heavens and the new earth, we receive life in all its fullness. We get a foretaste now. Uh, 2 Timothy uh, 4.8 Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That is, uh, in this world, uh, our, uh, we often get maligned by the people. Other people don't think well of us. Where We still feel the need to prove ourselves at some level. Uh, but once we have the crown of righteousness, we're, we're fully wearing full confidence that what God says of Jesus, he also says, of us. Uh, James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, that image of eternal life as the prize. And the last one is this, from 1 Peter 5.4, When the chief shepherd, so that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, this should remind you of that image of Moses. So Moses would go into the temple in, in the time of Exodus, the Old Testament, and he would meet with God. And as he was in the temple, the glory of God would come down on him. And the glory would come down on him in such a way that his face would radiate the glory of God. And so as he exited the temple, he put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't see that the glory of God was fading off his face. He'd obviously remove the veil uh, once the glory had faded. The picture gives us is that we, in knowing God, will have his glory shine on us in a way that never fades. As you come and you worship and you join together with Christians, there's a sense at which your, God's glory radiates upon you. As you're connected in knowing him, there's a glimmer of his glory radiating on you such that in Philippians it can say to us, shine like stars. There's a, there's a shining that comes from us, the, the radiation of God's glory. But when we receive the prize in the full, it's a glory that will never fade. Uh, the, 1 Corinthians uh, speaks of uh, how as we gaze on Jesus, uh, sorry, it's 2 Corinthians, uh, speaks of how we gaze on Jesus, uh, we're transformed. Uh, that from glory to glory we are transformed. And, and so as Christ's light is implanted in our hearts, it shines 
out of us. And, and that kind of glory is a glory that doesn't fade. So it's the glory of knowing God. It's the glory of a life in God. And it's the glory of God being present with us. That's the, the prize that he's talking about. So if we're to be prize-focused and not uh, scuba-focused, what's our problem? I think C.S. Lewis sums it up really well. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what it was meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too far, far too easily pleased. I, I totally agree with this quote. I think in life, uh, our present experience of Jesus and knowing Jesus is, we think, well, that's all there is. Now, the, the journey of being a Christian is about discovering the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of God that a journey that doesn't finish until you are face-to-face -face with him. And, and so I think quite often we settle for a lesser understanding of what it means to know God and to, to, to walk with Jesus than what is on offer to us. And so what are we encouraged by Paul to do? We're encouraged to train like an athlete. Uh, Holly, the other week... Uh, we, we dropped ten, Hamish at tennis and then we go up to the basketball court at Ballin Park and we shoot some hoops together and I, I give her some tips and uh, helping her to get better. But there was this little kid that was shorter than her and he was shooting hoops and he was really good. He was playing against his dad and he was dribbling around his dad and Holly looked at him and, and she, she could, she's like, oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I don't want to play basketball anymore. <laughs> I said, hang on a second, Holly. How long have you been playing basketball for? She's, she's like, oh, you know, a few weeks. Uh, okay, so how can you expect to be as good as this kid? It looks like he gets out there every afternoon with his dad and shoots hoops down at the court. He trains like an athlete. You, you can't be good <laughs> at sport without practice. There's natural talent. There's always natural talent. But <laughs> natural talent doesn't trump practice. Uh, so being a Christian, we, we need to train like an athlete. We, we needed to actually work in such a way that we can work out our faith under God, confident that he's going to grow us. He's going to upskill us in such a way that living for him is far better. And so we can forget what is behind and we can strain towards what is ahead. Uh, it's so easy in life to just can get weighed down by past failures, uh, the, the problems, uh, history, uh, the, the problems going on rather than straining ahead to what's promised to us in Jesus. And so Paul uses this image for us to, to say, actually, you need to train like an athlete. You need to look ahead and strain forward to what is a gift that's waiting for you. Uh, See, so the way of the law is that you work hard, and you receive a reward. You do a job, you receive a wage, you study hard, you get a good mark. That's the, the way of law. The, the way of faith is you believe in Jesus and you receive what is already yours as a gift. 
So, so the posture of work is you're, you're working hard at something. The, the posture of receiving is, is like a flow. Uh, when we went away and it was raining all day, the temperature was still pretty good. And so what the kids and I and their cousins did is we, we blocked up uh, Badger's Creek <laughs> up in Hillsville. And that was a lot of fun. We moved lots of rocks and we, we were able to kind of stop the flow to a degree, but it was still sort of tricking around the side. Otherwise, we couldn't build the rock wall. The, it wasn't possible. We redirected the, the flow, but what happens? The, the river continues to flow. As much as there's water coming into it, it's going to continue to push forward. We made a little channel so that the fish can make their way upstream, uh, but we've markedly changed the direction of the river. Or the creek. It's not a river. We blocked up a creek. I'd like to say we blocked up a river, but we didn't do that. It was a creek. But the water continues to flow. It's in the same way with your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit continues to move and flow. All you need to do is step into the river. And the river's going to keep moving and keep flowing, and you just need to position yourself to receive. So it's not only, so you're not straining forward like an athlete that doesn't believe they're going to receive the goal. You're, you're kind of gracefully running. <laughs> you still do the work, but you're gracefully running knowing that what is at the end is already yours. You're just moving closer towards it as you go. That's where the effort goes. You're moving closer towards what is already yours. So what about when we find life hard, continue to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. As we press into Christ, uh, we press on for the prize. When life gets hard, press into what Jesus has for you. Uh, the, the comfort that he has for you, the encouragement that he has for you, the future that he has for you. Because if life uh, doesn't look like heaven, and none of our lives look like heaven, Jesus is not finished with any of us. If our life doesn't look like heaven, Jesus isn't finished with us. Because as we look to Jesus, as we press to the prize, we see on earth as it is in heaven that, that Jesus would answer that prayer that he teaches us to pray, that we would see heaven come into our, ourselves and our relationships and our, our work. And we should expect to see God bless us because that's part of what's offered to us in Jesus. So what I want to really encourage you with this morning is that what you have in your hand is not all that is on offer for you in Jesus. What you have now in your relationship with Jesus is not all that is on offer for you in Jesus, that actually he's got far more than you can think of or imagine in store for each of you. And so as we pray on that, we, we look to the one who delights to give us good gifts.